Welcome back to the Troop Leader Experience podcast. I am really excited to bring a guest on this week who we've been friends talking about a lot of things in we have a lot of shared interests, which you're going to hear for a few months, but I still think the best way to go is for my guest to introduce themselves. So please tell us about you. What do you do? And who are you? And how did you become interested in doing this work? Well, uh, my name's Ricardo Sierra. I'm the director of the Hawk Circle Wilderness Education Program that has done outdoor education, wilderness survival, nature journaling, and just all kinds of anything to, anything to do with like youth and, and adults outdoors and taking care of yourself. And I've done this for about 35 years. And I we're located in upstate New York, but I've traveled literally all over the country teaching groups at different times as well for, you know, small groups or little summer camps or going on trips with my staff. So, you know, a lot of what I'm going to share is something that could apply to literally anywhere that you are listening from. There's, you know, a wilderness and nature element that will really apply, I think. What made you decide that this was what you wanted to do? You know, I started studying and practicing these skills. And everywhere I went, whenever I'd be practicing, if I built a shelter, there just would be kids would just show up. Kids would find me. They would go, hey, you know, can I help you? What are you doing? Oh, I'm sitting by the fire. Oh, yeah. Can I do? Can I do? They wanted to do whatever I was doing. And so I just started, you know, bringing extra gear. And and eventually I thought, hey, maybe I could do this and teach kids and you know, this could be something I could really benefit from because I could financially make some money as an actual camp director and running my own program. And once I took that plunge, I mean, I just have spent year after year, summer after summer, working with hundreds of kids and just seeing them thrive in nature and learning and seeing where they struggled. And I was always constantly adapting my program to suit the, you know, the needs of the current kids. You know, we were very adaptive and it was, it's been a really, really fun journey. And I'm, I'm really happy now to be teaching the teachers, so to speak, and uh, hoping to bring this, the benefits of nature to today's kids. Yeah. There's so many things about that that are interesting. I can't wait to dig into, but I want to start with like terminology a little bit because I, I feel like I mean, I've been in, I've been playing outside and camping and whatnot since I was a kid, but I still feel a little bit, I guess, un, unsure or like not super confident all the time. So I'm just curious, you hear these terms like outdoor education, wilderness education. I think you are, you collect to call yourself a forest educator. Are th- like, is this the same thing or do these things have different meanings? Well, that's really a good, it's a really good question to define these things. So we all know what we're talking about. For me, like an outdoor educator, oftentimes they will be people who run like a a low ropes course or a high ropes course, or they do things like rock climbing or kayaking or canoeing or hiking, backpacking, going on those kinds of adventures. And most of those are supported by, you know, lots of gear and you know, there's there's like a team that is approaching that and is taking care of those things. And you go there and you have that experience. And then when it comes to what I call wilderness education or wilderness survival skill learning or earth skills, 
or forest education, it, it it's a little different because it's really about kind of going out in nature and sometimes it's a very wide field. So sometimes it could just be going out and observing birds or trees or getting a good relationship to plants or, you know, being in a very receptive kind of sensory way, forest bathing, so to speak. And then there's the more active version of the wilderness skills, which is like learning how to gather sticks and then carving them to make a fire without matches. Or it might be learning about which berries are good to eat or what, you know, plants are good. You know, you might spend time going animal tracking. So you're just following tracks through the desert or in the snow and learning about the animals that way. It's a little bit more popular now because of shows like Alone, where people are out in the wilderness and they're you're seeing them live and make things, which is really kind of cool. Or, you know, Survivor or, you know, all those different types of reality shows that kind of show you a slice of what that's like, like Naked and Afraid and those things. So obviously, if you were going to go on one of those reality shows, it would be important that you had confidence and experience with wilderness and survival. But if you're not going to go on one of those shows and you're lucky enough and privileged enough to live in like a modern Western technologically advanced society, as most of us right. do to some extent, why is it important for us to have these skills and experiences and especially for kids to have these experiences? I, I guess what I would say is there's there's two answers to this. And one of it is you know, kind of the the brochure answer or the, you know, the heavily researched answer, which is that, you know, there's there's a tremendous amount of benefits that we get when we are connected to the natural world. Being outside, it it affects our in in a good way, it affects our immune system, it supports our brain function, being able to like feel the wind on your face and to feel sand under your toes or the or the lawn you know the grass under your feet that starts stimulating all parts of your body you know so your your endocrine system starts working differently and better uh your stress hormones go down all these things are starting to happen on a biological level and they are proving this every day they're, i mean if you study these things they're just like oh yes we determined that going outside for a walk is good for you and i'm like oh yeah did, did you spend $2 million on that study. Like, why Why do we need to spend that? But the, the fact is they are literally saying this is really good. And the implication is, is that when you don't do these things, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad for your body, bad for your development, or it, it just has a potential to have a negative impact on our children. And, and this, you know, when you start to go into the mental health aspects, that's when it really kicks in because mental health is just not, it's not an easy thing to handle. And if, and if you're ever struggling with, you know, depression or anxiety or any of those kinds of problems that, you know, we, we almost seem to be having at an epidemic level right now, it's not hard to make the, the leap to saying, oh, you know, you know what also has gone down? All of our time outside in nature. And the second part of that is, also tied to what I call the original blueprint model, which is that, you know, all of us today, if we're alive on this earth, we are here and our ancestors, you know, maybe a hundred years ago, maybe 200 years ago, maybe 400 years ago, 
But if you go back far enough, our ancestors all adapted and lived for thousands and thousands, you know, 100,000 years. We have lived in small communities, gathering food from nature, making all of our own clothes, making all of our tools, making our shelters. And we lived in a connection to the natural world. I don't want to say harmony with the natural world because that's can get a little, you know, there's a little controversy over potentially what that even means or whatever. But the idea is that we lived out in direct contact with nature and our brains developed a certain way doing that. And we, when we are making things, when we are listening to the wind and the, you know, the owls in the, in the canyons or whatever, when we're listening to those things and feeling those things, that is how our bodies have adapted. You know, we haven't adapted to, you know, being hunched over, uh, punching out texts on our phone or scrolling on our phone for hours and hours a day. That is not, that is not how we've achieved optimal health and, and wellness, you know, mentally, physically, all of that. So when we give children an opportunity to learn according to that original blueprint, not to say, oh, you're going to learn how to live in the wilderness so that, you know, they're going to live in a teepee for the rest of their lives. But we're just giving them a chance to have a developmental experience. So it's just like thinking, hey, let's go out here and let's all build a shelter together. That would be kind of fun. And they're out and they're making stuff and gathering sticks. And, and you can just see the change in three hours of how, they, how proud they feel, how considerate they are helping each other. And you see these kids kind of stand a little taller. Their eyes are a little brighter. They're a little dirty. And they just go like, yeah, we did it. We could survive. And, and that provides this like really powerful experience for them that affects their leadership and problem-solving skills and, uh, and everything. I mean, all the things that, you know, Girl Scout troops and troop leaders are working to develop. So that's really, for me, one of the biggest benefits to doing this kind of work and, and seeing you know, why it's important and, and how we can, how we can all benefit. And and it's not just for kids. It's also for adults too. So. Yeah. I love that. There's so much that is so important in that. And specifically when you said about being hunched over, I immediately straightened my back. Yeah, me thought, too. <laughs> oh, here I am sitting here at this desk hunched over. It's so funny. And I wanted to add also, I remember, and I don't have any data in front of me, but I remember reading in one of the Girl Scout research studies that they had done years ago, that there was also this whole element I wanted to touch on about problem solving and like overcoming obstacles. And this being a really big thing is that getting confident in the things that might be involved in, especially I would think like more the survival and wilderness. It, it, when you get, when you have confidence, when you build confidence in that, you could survive or you could overcome different challenges and obstacles that come up in those activities that then in your everyday life, it makes you more resilient of a person in facing obstacles and challenges. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, uh, you know, in a way, in order to accomplish anything in our lives, we're going to have to do something that we've never done before. We're going to have to learn you know, we're going to have to first learn, then we're going to have to try and fail, try and fail, try and fail, figure things out, adapt, and then eventually, you know, achieve our goal. And that theme is repetitive for our whole lives, you know, like, and it, it, that holds true in like our work, it, it holds true 
in our relationships. It's definitely true in like raising kids. The earlier we start with children, giving them opportunities to solve problems on their own and or with our help or as a part of a team, the better they are going to be equipped for everything down the road. Being able to have the space to go outside, make a have a challenge, say, let's uh, let's we're going to all build a fire and we're going to use one match. And how do we do that? You know, what what are some ideas you have? And, you know, again, you have always have to tailor your challenges to the skill level of the students, as well as the situation, the surrounding area in like, say, Arizona or Colorado, you really wouldn't want to go out and go, hey, let's see if we can make a fire when when everything is at risk for forest fires. So, you know, the challenges are going to change depending on where you're where you're at. But the idea here is to just give students and children uh, the chance to try something and then make it a little bit better and then try something and make it better and to and to continue to do that and allow yourself to not feel bad about failing or like you're just seeing them develop that skill. And as they develop it, they feel better. They feel good. And, you know, feeling confident about yourself is just the idea of going, I, I might not know how to do something, but I'm confident that I can figure it out. And that's what leadership is. You know, no one actually has all the answers, but they just, you, you trust someone that they are going to be able to figure things out. So then you follow those people. And in my summer camps, that was one of the key elements that parents would report back to is that they had their child, their child was like a C or D student, really kind of shy, kind of middle of the pack, didn't really want any attention. And then they started learning these wilderness skills. They come back to school, then they come back the next year, but suddenly they are going out for the school play or they're become the captain of the soccer team. Like their their confidence starts to go up in say just the survival area, but then it leaks out into their sports and into their grades and into their extracurricular community activities. So you see, I've seen that happen over and over again. And and parents will come up to me and say, Ricardo, it's totally the work you're doing with these kids. Their kid was missing that little spark and that being out in nature really helped them. And and being in an environment where they could be encouraged to learn and fail was really key. Gosh, I just feel like so much of that is so relatable for mm. the Girl Scout experience as a whole and the same the same impact. It's really clear to me why these kind of experiences ha- are such a part of the program and why they have always been part of the yeah. program because it's so many of the same principles and ideas and benefits and and the goals for kids. So let me ask you this. We are, you know, there's all kinds of things as you've you've mentioned some um let's say like recreation and orienteering and exploring and observing and survival and just all these different ways to engage outdoors and with nature or in nature. What is the kind of highest impact? Like if we're like, listen, we have limited opportunities to get these girls outdoors as part of this troop experience. What is going to be the highest impact experience for kids? And also, what's the highest impact experience for adults? Like, is that the same or is it different? (laughs) There's a lot of questions. Right, right. Yeah. So one of the things that I always say, if you know, you're someone that's working with a group of children and you are 
wanting to have these outcomes, have these experiences. Uh, it's really important to know your children, know the who you're working with, and to kind of follow their interests. So, you know, because ultimately you want them to get, get on the bus with you. You know, it's there's no, it's not fun. I know from experience that if children are not really on board with what you're going to try to do with them, you know, they could dig in their heels and the next thing you know, you have half the group turning against, you know, the idea and they're like, hey, we don't want to do this. You know, they're, I'll hear things like, why are we doing this? I don't want to sleep in a shelter. Why are we even building this? Or this is stupid, you know, or whatever. Like, so you'll get that kind of pushback. It's easy for someone who isn't experienced to then go, oh no, I'm getting resistance. And then to kind of crumple under that. So what, what I always try to kind of like pull back on is to say, how can we plan something that has a need for the group? So you don't have to like take them into the, you know, into the Bob Marshall wilderness in Montana and hike 40 miles out and, and then survive with just the shirt on your backs. Like, that's not what I'm talking about, but it's more like thinking like, okay, what's one activity we can do that will get us a little closer to nature? What's one activity we could do that will help them learn a tree? You know, so like I will give them lots of challenges to say, we're going to make a fire and I want to make sure that all of you know how to make a fire because someday you might be making a campfire for your family or for your friends or whatever. I think it's a really important thing to know. So this is what we're going to do, how we're going to cover safety and what do we gather and how do we do this whole thing and make it so that it's right? Obviously, fill in the blank if you're if you're in a fire force. I, I really have to think about that because where we live in the Northeast, you can make a fire and you, you know it never will really spread because the ground and everything is wet. But think about like navigation or how do we work together to cook a meal or whatever it is, giving them these challenges, it can seem like it's a big setup and it can be kind of, uh, I don't know, reductive, you know, it, it can seem like it's just a staged thing, but you'd be really surprised how quickly children react to that. They love it, but the idea is they, they will buy into it. And so, uh, you know, I will, you know, I've done this before where I'm like, okay, we're going to learn how to do an activity like building a shelter. And I'll say, it's going to rain in two hours. We're going to be sleeping out here tonight. We can either sleep out in the rain or we can build a shelter, but we got two hours to build this. And let's imagine that if we don't get the shelter built, some of us might get hypothermia. So we have to really give this experience, give this project our every bit of a, like we can't hold back. We can't just be like, oh, I don't like sticks or dirty. I don't know. How do we help them get into the scenario so that they can see the results of what happens when they when they fully when they're all in and when i div when i would take the time to like share a little scene building like that that story those kids always did what great they always did a fantastic job with whatever it is obviously shelter is one thing but you know you just have to build a reason and say what is the reason why and then give them an opportunity to uh, you know try and fail and then also when they succeed be able to really celebrate that and it's it's the the easiest thing to do is to just start on a small scale you know so that you get you know when children see that you are 
a source of activities that they feel good after that experience. All it takes is doing that three times. And then they just go, Ricardo's here. What are we going to do today? Like they just are excited because they're like, at the end of this thing, I'm going to learn something new and I'm going to be excited and I'm going to be able, I'm going to have stories to tell my family and my friends. I'm, I'm in, you know, they're, they're already then going like, all right, I'm in this person is giving me, you know, confidence and excitement and it's not boring and I'm not thinking about blah, 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 whatever, TikTok or, you know, they're, they're fully present and they're, they're engaged. So, so that's really your goal. And you, you just have to then take your time to bring, get people on board. There's so many things about this that I love. And what I'm really feeling I recently had a guest on and we were talking about girls in STEM and there's so much overlapping here of yes, yeah. the ex- the reasons why it's important and the what the experience is like and how to do this effectively. And I want to touch on a couple of the things just to really call them out to draw the themes together across a few episodes here. Mm. One, and and also with GSLE principles, you and I talked very briefly about some of the, the core parts of the Girl Scout program, but some things that we didn't necessarily spend time talking about. Progression is huge. And I've done multiple episodes about outdoor progression on this podcast in the past. So if you guys haven't heard those yet, if you're new here, you want to go back and check those out, definitely check that out. But progression is like a core part of the Girl Scout program in general, especially when it comes to outdoors and overnights. But and travel, but this idea of starting small and growing, and then also following their interests. That's a t- there's a principle in one of the core tenets of GSLE or the Girl Scout Leadership Experience is girl led, and girl led is really exactly that. It's it's hmm. not necessarily that the girls have to plan the activity, although that can be something an example of girl led, but following their interests and letting them kind of lead the way as far as what you want to double click on, as they say, or what you want to um, pursue further, take further, whatever, like what, where, where are their interests and really letting them lead the way with that. That's all very aligned with exactly what you were talking about. And then the third thing that you said that I, that really I thought was interesting that reminded me of STEM is the, um, this idea of stories and incorporating the story element to encourage kids to be engaged. And I remember, and I cannot think of her name off the top of my head. I could Google it, but the, um, the person who came up with Goldie blocks for girls, encouraging girls to pursue STEM, her whole idea was that the girls and boys play differently. And I apologize. Here we are with a gendered conversation again on this podcast. We run into this problem a lot, obviously, because it's called Girl Scouts and it's a program intended for kids who are living their lives and uh, recognized by their communities and their families as girls. But we do try to be really uh, inclusive on this podcast. And so it's just this thing we continuously come up against. But regardless, the premise behind Goldie Blocks is uh, that girls and boys play differently and that girl play is very, very story driven. So the whole idea of Goldie Blocks was to create these books with these stories and then have STEM toys, building toys, engineering toys that came with the books that you could create whatever the invention was um and you could learn about the different principles of how these different elements work together in constructing engineering this this invention or whatever but that girls would be more engaged in it if there was a story attached and i think that's so interesting 
about yeah. being able to incorporate those same kind of principles in your outdoor stuff rather than just sitting and tying knots. And I want to ask you on that note, what are some of the differences you've noticed, whether it's the importance, the impact, the way that girls and boys show up, the way that they leave? Like, what what are some of the biggest differences you've seen among those two genders? And again, I apologize to those listening. I We could say all genders if you want to, if you have uh, experiences you want to talk about, but in the gender binary what is what are the differences that you've seen or witnessed uh between boys and girls outdoors and also men and women outdoors yeah yes absolutely well it's interesting you know everything you're saying hits hard for me the the thing about boys and girls in a in a in a very 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 general way and there's always like the outlier you know like well i was a tomboy or something and i like to do that and they're like okay However, I have seen that, you know, oftentimes that that boys seem to be much more confident taking risks. Like they'll be like, I'm going to grab a spear. We're all going to go down and we're going to hike down to the swamp and then see what we find. And they're just like willing to get right out in front. And if they if there's a snake or something, they don't mind being the first one to see the snake or whatever. And then at the same time, when it when it comes to if somebody gets an injury, it's like the girls are the ones that circle the wagons and take care of the physical needs, the emotional needs, and really support that person and are incredibly thoughtful. I don't know. Maybe I'm digging myself a hole here by even talking about any of these general generalities. No, so I think it's I don't know because it's especially yeah. true. I mean, it is true that boys take more risks than girls, and certainly that men take more risks than women. Yes, of course, there are outliers, but statistically, on a physical level, weight risk anyway, true. yeah. It's definitely yeah. true. And we see that gap grow as they age, right? That and I'm and I'm curious to hear what your personal experience has been with that of like perhaps when they're smaller, younger kids are maybe more likely to be uh, fairly created equally in yeah. in their confidence in exploring outdoors. And then that gap of confidence and possibly interest, but I would make the argument that the interest largely really comes from a lack of experience and confidence but the right. the that gap grows and grows as they get older and i don't know if there's like i don't have research in front of me i don't know if there's like a place where it tapers off but it's definitely absolutely true and we see this in confidence in their bodies we see this in confidence raising their hand in class we see this in confidence um, taking on leadership roles and positions in in other aspects of their lives. And I would imagine then, like, biologic, it definitely also must be true in the outdoors. Right. Yeah. What's interesting is that, and when I'm speaking about this, I'm thinking about most of the kids that I worked with were either suburban, you know, or in some cases, rural children coming out into the woods where they were getting an experience for the first time very, they're very much out of their element at home, being at home or whatever. And that working with girls in a girls only setting is very different than working with girls in a boy girl setting. Oh, so, so interesting. Tell so, me more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so for example, when, you know, like when I just take a group of girls that are in a, you know, kind of like a girls camp or a, a, gr a group of people that come out that are all women, they they're ready to go and do anything when there's boys present they will just hold back a little bit it's not that they're not excited to do whatever they want to whatever it is 
they'll just sort of hold back and go, well, let's just let the boys do their thing. You know, when I think about like this idea around like teaching skills to girls, you know, learn how to use a saw safely. I'll show you these tricks. Here's how to use a, a hatchet. Here's how to use a knife to carve. Let them have the, take the same risks, let them build the same skills. And it's such a great feeling for them to turn around and, you know, if they go home or they come back the following year and they'll just say, Hey, can I use the hatchet? I want to chop this. And then they go and they just do it and they do a great job. And then they just walk away. I mean, it's like a little thing, but they, they just walk away going like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know how to handle my business. I know how to take care of stuff. And then if somebody else is struggling, they go, Hey, do you need help? Here's, a, here's how I do it. You want to like, they support each other in a lot of ways that way. And they know how good it feels. And then they're, they're putting that skill into action. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really fun to see children learn wilderness skills, learn nature, you know, nature skills, crafts, art, whatever it is. And I don't know, I, I got a good story that I'll tell you about this because a lot of times I would teach these children and then I would, they would leave, you know, they'd come in, the parents would show up and then they'd jump in their, in their parents' Volvo and they'd be like, see ya. And they'd go back to Baltimore or Boston or New York city. And that was, that would be the end of it. And then, you know, over the years, I started getting a lot more feedback from parents. And one woman, um, one mom, she called me one time and she said, Ricardo, my daughter's been to your camp like for three years. And of course, I knew, I knew her daughter really well. And she said, yeah, she's, you know, she's 13. You know, there was a big fight among her little group of friends, her, her kind of core cluster of girlfriends. Feelings were hurt. And she said... I got a heads up from one of the parents that called and said, hey, you know, the little core is broken up and be prepared for my, my daughter's just freaking out. And, and so she, she was like, oh no, oh no, what, what is my daughter going to do? I hope she is okay. You know, she got really worried and her daughter came home from school and she was like really calm. And she was like, oh, you know, do you need anything? And she's like, no, I just need my, she grabbed her like little backpack that was her wilderness stuff. And she said, I'm going to be in the backyard. And, you know, of course this mom was telling me, she's like, I went to the kitchen window and I was like looking out there going, what is she doing? Is she okay? What's happening? And she went to the backyard and they had like a little fire circle there where she could like build, make things or cook things, or whatever. They had like a little campfire circle and some chairs. And she went over there and she just started like, you know, I think she built a little fire and she started carving some things. And then she was like pulled out a basket. She was working on this, on these skills for this basket. And, you know, a little while later she came in and, and she was like, Oh, do you need anything? She's like, no, no, I just want to get some water. And she went back out. And for like three days, she just spent every minute that she could outside. She, I think she even slept out on the deck uh, behind their house. And she said, all the other moms, were like calling her every day, telling her that, oh, my daughter's got to go to a therapist because she's so angry and she's so hurt and she's crying and and she's just like doing that. And meanwhile, her daughter, her daughter was just like having a good time in the backyard. And she called me, she goes, I had to call you because after like four or five days, my, you know, things did salt, re, whatever you want to call that. They find their own level again and it worked out. But she just said, Ricardo, you're my daughter. There was nothing different about my daughter from all of her five friends, except that she had gone to your camp. 
And she was able to just do things that renewed her sense of self. She, you know, she made a couple of crafts that were really fun and good. And she, she just did things that made her feel better. And she just didn't get involved in the drama. She goes, she was, you know, she was a little sad about what happened and we talked about, but she did not like completely fall apart, you know, internally. And that story has happened over and over again with both girls and boys, but especially with girls, that there's this ability to self-regulate through doing behaviors that help you yes, to, that's the word that was to just regain through right. my head you, was self-regulate. She was self-regulating. Definitely. Right. She exactly. So she knew what to do to get her emotional and mental health back on track. Right. Or right. I, I don't Nothing need to get on my phone and start yeah. bad mouthing and making six TikToks or something about it. <laughs> I mean, and I'm I'm just kind of joking about that, but yeah, it, it's a she didn't lean into the drama. She leaned into how to restore her sense of self. And so Gosh, she just kind of so went like powerful. Yeah. I love that. And it gives them, I mean, it gives them resources that they know to your point that they know they can rely on for self-regulation and for self-soothing and what will return them back to being centered and grounded, literally grounded, right? Like right. touching the ground with your barefoot and literally getting grounded with the earth and right. but it it doesn't have to literally be that to be grounded there's so many ways to be able right. to engage with the earth with the, the planet that we live on by being outside and being in nature even in your own backyard and i think that is just really really cool so i mentioned i have quote unquote a bunch of experience outside i went to summer camp my whole childhood i camped on weekends with friends i then grew up to take my camp, my troop camping, both in tents and in cabins. And still, I feel anxious. So I know there's a lot of adults who are listening who have less experience than I do, who have maybe never been camping. Now here we are as troop leaders. And so what advice do you have for adults who feel less confident about wilderness or outdoor activities and exploration? And how we can help kids safely and productively get their own experience outside. Oh, that's really good. Good. It's a good idea to lean into what are your fears. And because in a lot of ways, you want to lean into that and say, oh, am I worried because there might be mosquitoes? Am I worried that there are bears? Am I worried that there is a, a snake or, you know, whatever it is that, you know, I don't know, in Arizona, you have like black widows and rattlesnakes and yeah. All kinds of stuff, you know? And so there's a lot of good reasons to be a little nervous or worried. And that, I don't mean like good reasons like, oh yeah, never go outside because you might see a snake, but more like there are things that are very real. But if we're asking children to, you know, lean in and be able to overcome their fears, then then that's okay for them to see that we're doing the same thing. So if you're thinking about like, oh, we're going to go, I really want to go camping with you all. But I'm a little worried, guaranteed that other people have that same thing as well. Uh, the children have it, the other leaders have it. And then to say, but can we still go do it anyway? You know, can we still try anyway? And and what could we do to take those baby steps? So maybe instead of like say, oh, we're going to camp out at this park. Okay, well, maybe we want to go check out the campground before we actually camp out. So we go scope it out and say... Does it look good? Is everything good? You know, depending on what the fear might be. Solve the problem so that you can relax. That's that's the best thing. 
And then, you know, know that, you know, you don't have to go into the wilderness. You can do even little things that you do. Like if you don't want to go in the wilderness, do something in your backyard, do do something at someone's farm, like do things that are really feel really safe and then work your way up to doing things a little bit outside of your comfort zone. But again, you know, like you, you definitely don't want to go and be like, all right, we're, we're out here and I'm just petrified and I can't move. Like you don't want to put yourself in that situation. The idea is to then maybe pair up with someone who could take the lead. That's a totally fair and reasonable thing to ask people for help. And you'll, you'll get it. Whatever, whatever you're going to do, there are people that are already doing it and that would probably be thrilled to be asked. So you just got to get on social media and go, hey, who do I know who's really good at, you know, going canoeing on a lake or whatever? Would you want to help us out or help me out? Just show me what's going on. So Yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly what I did is I asked someone I knew had um, more camp experience than I did to go with me. And I was fortunate that she was able to go with me every time we tent camped. She was not able to go every time we cabin camped, but I was way more confident there. So, okay, what are some of the biggest mistakes? Because a a lot of what you do, and I want to kind of emphasize this, you work with, you you have so much experience working with kids, but you really are also an expert in this training the trainer, educating the educator, right? So what are some of the biggest mistakes adults make when it comes to working with kids outside? I guess one of the things that I see a lot, I see a lot of this in like after-school programs because- in an after school program the kids they've been in school all day and they're just tired and they don't really want to learn a lot of new stuff because they're just like you know what i just had whatever 7 hours of the, of people talking at me about a bunch of stuff that i don't really know what the heck's going on i just want to unwind i'm all freaked out and pent up energy and all that so because of that i always suggest that if you're going to work with children keep the keep the narrative of like whatever you need to do with them short in the beginning. So for example, kids get talked at all the time and the adults always think that whatever they have to say is super important for them, but the kids, it doesn't always apply. And they're just like, Oh, this person's just talking and talking and talking. Like the Charlie Brown cartoon with the adults. Yes. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the thing that's interesting about it is that like in middle school, you know, when they get into that, that age range, there's a lot of stuff going on. Their brain is getting rewired. There's, you know, it's expanding its growth. All these things are happening. So I always tell any of my staff and or people that I work with say, go into a program or go into your event and you, you have to get them hands on a project doing something within five minutes. So you know, even if it's the first time I've ever met anybody, I'm just going to go, hey, I'm Ricardo, blah, 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 come from this wilderness program. And I go, today, we're going to talk about, you know, if you were th- if you were living here 500 years ago in this spot, you would need to know how to use stone tools because you, would, you wouldn't have steel. There would be no dick sporting goods. There was no this, and there was no that. So we're going to take these stones that I brought and we're going to tra- practice carving the bark off these sticks I brought. You're going to learn how to do it. I do some safety stuff. And then I say, it might be tricky for you to do it initially, but you'll figure it out. And then if you're having trouble, look at who's doing really well and watch what they do. And so in other words, teach yourself. And then I'll say, do you want to know how people, how to tell if somebody's doing well? 
And they go, yeah. And I go, well, look at who ha- whoever has the most bark on the ground in front of them. They're the ones doing really well. And they're like, oh, okay. And then I go, any questions? And then I just get them doing it. And then five or 10 minutes into that, then I can stop them and say, hey, how does this feel? What does it smell like? What does your stick smell like? Is anybody's hand getting cramped? Do you think there's a way to do it with the other hand? What it, you know? Look at what everybody's doing. Whoever's doing it fast, notice if they're holding it differently, or did they use a different stone? So the idea is to get them problem solving, thinking, looking, observing, and getting them involved, and and then engaging their senses. In other words, it doesn't have to be this like endless stream of information coming from me. I can actually ask them. And then, and then as you wrap up, you maybe say, Hey, what did you guys learn? Is there anything that you liked about it? Hey, all of you have passed, you know, Stone Tools 101. Next time I come, I'm going to give you Survival 102 or whatever. And you just make it fun, keep it light. It's not a big, heavy thing. And then see how they do. Similar. Do you have any examples of some easy activities or exercises or experiences that? The volunteers listening can plan for their girls and their troops that could help their girls kind of get some experience and confidence outdoors. Uh, absolutely. So think about, to me, everything is comes down to, there's what I call the skills. You, you mentioned it too, with the progression, right? So there's the skills behind the skills behind the skills. So for example, if you want to be good at sewing, it's helpful to know how to use scissors. If you want to be good at sew, sewing, You also need to know how to use a needle and thread. You have to know how to tie a knot. You have to know how to hold that. Your fingers have to be able to hold pieces of cloth together, et cetera. So you have to think back to whatever it is you'd like them to do, then look and say, do they have the skills to do that thing? And then from there say, all right, well, in order for us to do this thing, I'm going to teach you this. You know, so you might try something really simple. So just getting them used to um, making, I don't know, braided yarn, you know, we're going to do a braided yarn strap for a little bag we're going to make or like, so in other words, just progress your skills and don't, it doesn't have to be, you know, like a, a wilderness skill. It could just be anything that will build their skill level up. I also start with trees and a lot of this also deals with like senses and observation. So I'll say, hey, you know, let's look at the shapes of trees. Let's look at, let's look for bird nests if you're outside. Like, just think of something you can do besides just like going for a walk and talking about everything in your own world. You know, so if you go for a walk, yes, it's good you're outside, but you're not really necessarily engaging. You're just like, I'm walking and thinking about my whole life. And it's like, me, 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 my life, my life, my life, my life. Oh, there's a bird. Okay, my life, my life. One of the things that I do when I'm on a walk is to go, Okay, let's all stop for a second and like let's look around. If you were a bird and you were a bird that lives close to the ground, where out of all these all the things around us would there be a likely a place where a nest would be? Where would you want to be hidden from predators? If you're a bird that's in the up in the middle of the tree, where would you where would you go? Bird and in other words, get them to look for bird nests. I mean, I'm looking out my window right now and there's like we don't have any leaves on the trees and it's like winter and there's snow, so I can see a bird nest. So that's why I'm saying that. But the idea here is think about wherever you are and then get them to go deeper. Just ask them to go a little deeper. Look, don't just look at the woods. Say which trees are really crooked, which tree has really dark bark, which tree is got needles versus leaf, whatever. 
So you just start learning a little bit and say, what, what's going on here? Like all of these things are ways you can start. So in other words, you don't have to go to the Grand Canyon. You don't have to do the, the extreme thing. You can just start by seeing something deeper, looking, you know, oh, I heard a bird singing. What is that bird? You know, what are, what are some of the things on the ground? Are there any tracks that we can see down by the river or in a puddle? And see if we can kind of figure out what those might be. And it just gets your, their brain engaged to ask questions. There's so many different ways to see and do whatever it is, you know, uh, out, out, in the, out in the world, there's so much to see and engage with and, and explore. But you just start somewhere and ask them a lot of questions. You can really start almost anywhere, you know, like think about the things that we need, food, shelter, we need water, uh, places to live and go and exercise and have fun. And then just expand on that and then just go, hey, you guys want to try this? Or um, just see where where you could start um, trying to get them to be a little bit, go engage a little bit deeper. And you might have to do that yourself. You might have to actually go and get, take some classes or look online or whatever and see if you can find naturalist training or whatever and see what kind of strikes your fancy and... And then think about your group and go, oh, would this work with my kids? And then, you know, sort of see. I do say, I will say that having having curriculum that's like canned curriculum, if you know what I mean, where it's like, okay, here's our curriculum for, like I worked for a alcohol and drug abuse prevention program for a while. And they had these curriculum samples that they had that were, you know, it's kind of like, all right, uh, what, what keeps kids off of drugs, oh, learning about self-esteem. So they would just have a whole section on talking to the kids about self-esteem and everything. And I remember just telling my boss, I was like, you don't get self-esteem by talking about self-esteem. You know, <laughs> I was like, this is stupid. Honestly, if a kid has self-esteem or not, it, you know, t- having us having a two-minute conversation about it is not going to give them that. So yeah, I think that's really important. And I think that is very relatable for a lot of people listening as they're trying to follow badge work. And I think there's something to be said for, especially as they're getting older, for awareness about patterns and issues of self-esteem. I don't think that middle school girls are too young or whatever to have a conversation with them about the fact that, hey, for example, I mentioned earlier, the confidence, the confidence peak in studies for girls is eight years old. And then if we're talking about girls who are, if we're talking to girls who are older than eight and saying like, this is the case, there's something about that that I think it's important for them to be aware of. I also think there's something in knowing like, you're not alone if that's how you feel. Like if that's the lived experience you've had, virtually all girls have that experience, right? And I think there's things like that that are, are very, could be very engaging depending on how they're done could be very engaging conversations. But what I think is really interesting, because you mentioned, maybe start at the beginning of like, what are the things that you need? You know, shelter, food, et cetera. Like what do you, and, and the way the badges are structured, which you wouldn't necessarily know, but people listening would, if you look at especially the younger girl outdoor related badge work, they start, they usually have a step that's like having girls make a list of things they need, right? So Um, What are we going to, we're planning, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What do we need to pack? What, you know, what is important to have when you're going to go hike or what is important to have if we're going to go camping? And although to us, when we're looking at the badge work, that feels 
kind of boring or stale to sit and talk with kids about like, let's make a list of the things we need. It doesn't necessarily feel like, I I think sometimes there's criticism of the current badge work of like, who wrote this? Like it wasn't written for kids. But the reality is the advice you just got from a professional who has no relationship to Girl Scouts is like you start at the beginning. So that's why those badges are structured the way they are. Now, you guys know if you've been listening to this for a while that I'm a huge believer in like the spirit of the badge and just, you know, you don't need to follow the five steps exactly as they're laid out in the handbook to get a hiker badge. You can just explore hiking and there's so many ways to do that. I think that those steps are important for people who don't know where to start. So it gives you a place to start. But on that note, you know, you mentioned some other ways adults can kind of pursue training and whatnot. What are some resources you specifically recommend and maybe even offer for adults who work with kids outdoors? Well, I do a um, a program that I'm actually just, you know, kind of consistently refining and, and improving on, but it's called the Forest Educator Training. It's an online course that's uh, six, six sessions. Basically, it just kind of covers everything from you know, thinking about the students, thinking about what what do you want to accomplish. And so it's very goal-oriented. The idea here is to help you immerse yourself into thinking about nature and about children and about teaching and, you know, sharing um, and think about it in new ways and to be able to really kind of explore your assumptions and maybe crack crack a couple of those wide open so that you can really give yourself an experience that's that's unique. And we talk about like the elements of like rites of passage and you know what is a transformational program versus you know kind of just a basic learning program. And what I've what I've you know found with a lot of this is that it's really helpful to just kind of get immersed in that. And the other thing I'll mention is there's nothing wrong with taking as many different kinds of experiences as you as you can, you know, whether it's like going to a state park or, I mean, there's a lot of things that are online now. So pretty much anything that you can think of has an online version of that. But just looking at that, trying that, looking at, you know, any of the things that we've been mentioning, you know, especially like if you're going to go hiking or whatever, get online and say, hey, there's an online program to get people involved in whatever it is, kayaking, hiking, um, nature, observation, birding. I mean, like all of these have huge numbers of people that are passionate about that. And to just find some of that, see what you see and, and then reach out. Like, you know, you could always, if anybody's listening to this, you could always go on my website, foresteducator.com, send me an email and say, Ricardo, I heard you. Here's, here's what I'm doing. Happy to help. And most people doing this work are really happy to, you know, kind of engage. If you're doing the work with children on the front lines, I 100% support you because I want to do whatever I can to help you out. I, I also have a, uh, I've created a 12-month subscription box called the Forest Box for Kids. And it's just, I got activities. It's got a nature craft you can do. There's an audio story of like one of my adventures. There's videos on how to do the craft or the skills. There's a nature journal. And there's always a little piece of gear or equipment. It was kind of It's kind of fun just to give them something to kind of grow their kit. I don't really include a lot of plastic in it, and I don't just stuff it full of snacks and stuff like other boxes do. It, it's a, it's just a nice way to kind of get an idea of how to get started. So if, if anyone was interested, you could always go to that box. Uh, it's called the, the Forest Box for Kids.com. And yeah, that might be kind of fun. 
Yeah, I think that'd be a great idea, especially to like inspire I, uh, ideas. And that's something that yeah. we love to do in this space on this podcast is like inspiring all the different ways you can engage with kids. And I think that box could be really helpful as well as the Farce Educator Program. And I do have a question about that. The yeah. sessions, and and I know you said you're developing it and, and maybe revamping it a little bit, but um, are the sessions, is it self-paced or are there, is there a live element? What does that, what does right. it look like? Well, it's basically six uh, live sessions and they're like an hour and a half, two hours. And I usually kind of cover a specific aspect of forced education, uh, being a forced educator. And then I have like a period for 45 minutes or a half hour of like question and answer. So anybody taking it can ask ask me anything and I can get really detailed. And then I usually do a couple of bonus sessions at the on the other side of it, which is to help whoever is... You can ask anything, you know, I've had people ask me marketing questions. I've had people ask me staff training questions, or uh, sometimes it's just very clear. They're like, oh, can you tell me three different games I can play with kids? And, you know, so I just share what I can. And and I include like a lot of videos and stories and, you know, skills and, and nature journals and things like that in the program as well. So you actually get like PDFs of my of my stuff. So really, really fantastic. And I think could be so, so helpful for so many of us in this community. Yeah. So um, I hope that if you're listening, I hope you will go check this out and just remind us where can people follow you and learn more about what you do? I know you gave your website. Is that the best place to follow you? Are you on social media? How can people sure. stay connected? Um, yeah, I'm on social media. I think there, that the links to that are all on my website, but it's the forestboxforkids.com or you can go to the forest educator. Dot com. Great. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun. And I know you have so many more stories and I wish we could just talk all day. I think maybe we'll have to have some more conversations because especially with all of the ideas and suggestions you have for educators, which I think, you know, we, we qualify, right? Adults yeah, absolutely. In, in doing this educational program, right? And I think it would be really awesome to be able to connect again and to to get to hear more of your stories. Because I just like you told some really good ones and I know you've got tons and I would love to hear them, but you gave us so sure. much valuable information. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your expertise. It was really a pleasure. Absolutely. It's my pleasure too. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you do, both for kids and for educators, because mm. it it really makes such a huge impact. And just that one story that you shared of a participant from your programming being able to just go self-regulate in her own backyard as a result of experience that like to imagine the number of people who have been impacted by your programs with just that one example is really the work you do is so important so thank you for that as well oh yeah thanks thanks so much <laughs>